Um, Naomi Cherlinski Reagan was born in July 1949 in Brooklyn Jewish Hospital, which actually was the same hospital that I was born in. Um, her mother was a second-generation Jewish American from an Orthodox family, and her father was a first-generation American originally from the Ukraine who was not as religious. Her father died when she was in second grade. She was sent to a private Orthodox school attended by children from wealthy Jewish families while her own family lived in a housing project. She always enjoyed reading and writing, but also became interested in Hebrew studies. After high school, she studied literature at Brooklyn College, and in the evening, she attended an ultra-Orthodox women's teacher's college in Borough Park, Brooklyn. She left home and rented a room with an ultra-Orthodox family in Borough Park. This family had a daughter her age, and Naomi Reagan noticed how restricted that daughter's life was. She said on her website that, Much of what I saw I deeply admired, and yet there was a narrowness there, a suspicion. I didn't fit in, and I knew it, but I could not give either world up. She met her husband, a yeshiva student studying math at Brooklyn College, and after they married, they moved to Israel where they live in Jerusalem with their four children. She received a master's degree in English from Hebrew University in Israel. But living in an ultra-Orthodox neighborhood, she again noticed that she felt out of place. One day, her neighbor across the street, a young ultra-Orthodox woman, jumped from the top of a building, taking her young daughter with her and killing them both. Her first novel, Jepti's Daughter, published in 1989, was the telling of this story. In all, Naomi Reagan has published nine novels. Most, but not all, concern the ultra-Orthodox Jewish community. Bard actually has all nine of her novels. She wrote a play, Women's Minion, which ran for six years in the Israeli National Theater, and she also writes a column for the Jerusalem Post newspaper. She's also an activist for women's rights and joined a 2006... Huh, I still see Michelle there but I don't see, I'm not sure if she got kicked off again. I think what she was going to say is she joined the protest against uh, the segregated buses. Um, but we'll let her finish when she comes back. I don't see her back yet. So meanwhile, let's start talking about the book, since I think there's a lot to be said. What did you guys think? I will start. I was greatly educated. By the, you know, I didn't know. I thought if you were Jewish, you were Jewish. That was it, you know. You, you, you know, you, you followed all the uh, the high holidays. Everybody lived pretty much the same, and I was just astounded. And I, I want to be very fair here, because I don't think I could live as an Orthodox Jew if I ever converted. But you know, I want to be educated here, so I'm going to let others talk too. I thought this was a great book. I love stories like this and about the about Jewish families and um it always interests me. My cousin married a woman who was who is orthodox and it just it fascinated me when he when he decided to do that it was such a big change for him and they both 
it's interesting because they they both work in the movies and yet she still maintains her kosher home and her lifestyle and they have two kids that they raised that they're raising as orthodox Jews and it's just it's just so fascinating and this book was just it was a wonderful book. I can't decide which one of hers I want to read next because they all just look so good. And it was just so interesting to me to see how they live and the differences in their lifestyles. And I have friends who are orthodox too, and it just, it's very fascinating. Uh, yeah, I normally don't read these type of books, but I, I really liked it. Rithka reminded me too much of my days as a social worker in AFDC, but anyway, uh, it was a very well done book and uh, didn't come into idealistic endings or anything like that. I, I think it was excellent. Real quick, the, yes, I'm willing to be educated. The part I didn't like was not their cultureism or whatever, that's okay. But the kidnap, the forcing of people to live the culture. It, you know, like uh, Rose ran for 40 years. She said, it, I had to call the police. They come with um, bars to bash the doors in. I didn't like that part of it. Well, one of the things that's really interesting, I think, about the ultra-Orthodox community, which maybe is different than other religious communities, is all the responsibility that they place on women. Um, women are supposed to take care of the home, have a lot of children, and they're also supposed to go to work and really help support the family. And the reason why this is is that it's supposed it's an honor for the husbands to be able to be scholars and to study the Torah. And it's it's a very complicated kind of a thing because um, you know you think about really. Is it a burden to women, or should they really view it that this is their role and that you know their husbands should be scholars and that it's an honor for them to study the Torah? So I think if you're outside of that way of life, you know, you look at it like it's a really a tremendous burden. And I don't know if you actually grow up that way if you consider this you know, the way things should be. Um, I know that ultra-Orthodox people are very easy to recognize by their appearance um, because they look, they have a certain look. Um, the men usually dress in black. They have long beards. Um, and the women dress very, very conservatively, very conservatively. They wear long skirts. They shave their heads a lot of times. They wear wigs. And they have a very distinctive uh, uh, appearance. Um, so it's, it's a... Um, I don't know. I, I, I really have a hard time deciding if I think it's it's too much of a burden that they place on women. Yeah, it's so different. And there were things I wouldn't have liked. Like Bob said, the whole, you know, she called the police because they were coming after her with the, the bars and everything. I just didn't, I didn't like that either. And... Now, my cousin and his family aren't ultra-Orthodox, but it's just, I, plus the whole, they were, it just seems like they're so sheltered in so many ways, and they're, they're pretty much told how to think, and 
how to act. Very constricting. I'm sorry, I, I had a phone call. Have we already all commented, all except for me, uh, about our comments about the book or not? Oh, go for it, Alan. We haven't all commented. Well, I really enjoyed the book. I mean, th- th- this was a... I like human relationship stories anyway, but this, this was very well very well written, and I, I really enjoyed, you know, uh, delving into the, uh, the... Now, this is another question I've got. I know they were orthodox is, is one of the terms that's used, but I've always heard the term, is it Hasidic? But they weren't pronouncing it that way. They sound like they were saying Hasidic, or maybe I just heard the words wrong, but maybe Michelle can chime in on that. But uh, I enjoyed, you know, hearing all the, you know, the, the, the Jewish stuff and the uh, the Yiddish terms and uh, uh, it, it, was, it was a very, very well done story. Of course, not, I'm interested in women's rights too so I, I i appreciated the way they delved into all that so uh, uh it was a very very good story and i thought gabriella uh, cavallari did an excellent job narrating and i i just thoroughly enjoyed it well uh, you know i i learned as we were talking about last time there's there's different types of judaism um the most lenient type of Judaism is Reform Judaism, and that's when you go to synagogue, they actually do some of the service in English. Um, then the middle ground is Conservative Judaism, and then the most religious type of Judaism is Orthodox. And, and now it's actually split into Ultra-Orthodox and Modern Orthodox. And Modern Orthodox is they allow women to go to college, and, and you know they're, they're more modern. I was talking to my mom actually the other day, and she was telling me when she was younger that they really didn't have conservative synagogues. She, she grew up in Brooklyn. They didn't have conservative synagogues. They didn't have reform synagogues. Every, everybody went to an ultra-Orthodox synagogue, even if they weren't ultra-Orthodox. Um, Hasidim, Hasidim I, I say it wrong, too, I believe is a type of ultra-Orthodox. Um, there are other types of ultra-Orthodox as well. That's the one I think that most people think of. Um, in terms of the narrator, I will say that Gabriella Cavallari did pretty good with the Yiddish, but not perfect. Sometimes, like, the Jewish word for uh, grandmother is bubby, and she kept saying booby, and I kept saying, no, Gabriella, that's not the right pronunciation. So here and there, she wasn't, I think, um, Suzanne Torin, I think would have did a better job, actually. Gabrielle Caravillier, I like her, but she wasn't exactly perfect. Um, I will tell you, I had a lot of problems with this book in terms of just my own experience, I think. When I hear about ultra-Orthodox stuff, it, it gives me the, the willies. <laughs> I just, I don't like that way of life. Um, there was a line in the book where the character Michelle said, um, that there, there's Jewish and then there's Jewish, and I understood exactly what she meant because to ultra-Orthodox people, even though I'm Jewish, both of my parents are Jewish, they don't can really even consider me Jewish. Um, I will tell you one thing I did not like at all in the book is the way that women develop fear of men because in this, you're not allowed to be with a man who's not your father, who's not your brother, who's not your husband. And if you think of the way Rose 
felt when she was alone in the room with Michelle's father and Michelle's father was showing her the camera and the photography book and the way that Rifka thought that she couldn't become pregnant even though she was having sex because God you know, would only bless her if she was married. Um, I think that it really makes women sometimes have a real misunderstanding, I think, a lot about men. And, um, and I think it's difficult to go from some sheltered background to all of a sudden being married. It kind of reminds me of the way, you know, it used to be that women, you know, it, it just, I don't know. I have, I have a lot of issues with it. I think, but I think the fact that she made me so uncomfortable meant that the book was actually a really, really good book um, because I, I was very uncomfortable, I have to say, reading this book. And I don't really know if Rose had any choice but to leave when she did. Um, I, you know, I'm sort of still thinking about if there was really another option. Um, and I noticed that uh, Donna hasn't spoken and Carla hasn't spoken. I don't know if, if you guys... You might have spoken when I left the room, so if you already did, I apologize. But if not, if you want to say anything, please feel free. This is Donna. I hope you can hear me better now. Um, there's a book on Bard, and I wish I remembered the title of it because it's a nonfiction book, and I just remember that the author's first name was Deborah, but she is uh, grew up in an a ultra-Orthodox family in Brooklyn, and she tells of a lot of the um, similar incidents that happened to her in real life uh, happened in this book. So I think that the women actually, the fear of the women and the young men when they married women and they were expected to um, consummate the marriage, a lot of them didn't know what to do. And uh, this woman's mother was, she was from England and she was brought over from England to marry this uh, the the author's father because he had a mental illness and so no one who knew him no family who knew him would give their daughter to him so just based on the little bit I read of that book I think that Naomi Reagan's portrayal of some of these characters and their fears and the relationship between men and women was extremely realistic I have another comment to make but I'm going to stop talking I'm going to let up on the control key just to find out if you are able to hear me uh, loud enough Donna we heard you beautifully I don't know what you did but you sound great and your comments were great let me say I got the tail and I was on a call and forgive me Rose was wonderful I don't think she had another choice I loved it. She grabbed a suitcase and headed out the window. Why should she allow them to have her marry someone she doesn't love? And uh, I'm trying to remember one guy was, what, one guy was a playboy, was it? And the other guy was goofy or something. But why should she be forced to do that? But I, I was more concerned with the reaction rather than if they would said, we cut you out of the family. Well, that can happen. But they went after her. They went after her. And then Rivka who went to the baths to be purified and all that. I mean, she it, it was a, she's, the culture was tearing at them. Of course it was, and uh, we'll get to that. But I think Rose was, was really great. Even though at the end, when Pearl and she were talking, they got together at a coffee shop, you know, Pearl said, you know, Tatha prayed for you every Friday night. He did, you know, and come on, you know the culture is there. You, you can't deny it. And and Pearl and they were going back and forth. I thought that was the highlight for me of the book. Two two sisters after forty years 
exchanging ideas and you know that there that pearl's not going to say i'll get rid of my husband i'll go into your culture and rose isn't going to say that either but they you you just feel that with that dinner they're going to have at the end that the sisters will come a little closer but there's still that barrier i really liked that at the end too and i really liked it when pearl said uh, there was some tragedy that happened and pearl said that even i don't think that way anymore that that God is punishing people by giving them these tragedies. And so she had really grown through the book. And that's the other thing I liked is these characters were complex. I mean, Rose totally abandoned the Jewish religion, whereas Rivka, in spite of leaving the ultra-Orthodox, did maintain a kosher home and wanted to maintain the religion. And I thought that was really a nice touch. I mean, that makes sense that some people would, you know, break away more than other people would. Um, I agree with what everybody else said. I certainly wouldn't want to live in this world. Um, you know, I, it was nice to learn about it, and all religions seem to have these super conservative people where the women are pretty much kept down. But, boy, not for me. But this was a really good portrayal that showed that there were a lot of uh, good people on both sides. And uh, it just it just really brought out the issues in an intelligent way, I thought. I liked the end, too, where they... Rose and Pearl talked and tried to build a bridge again. But the other thing that I thought was interesting, too, was she, I got the feeling that she was going to form a relationship with David's father at the end. And David and Hannah were forming a relationship and not... Maybe they weren't going to be ultra-Orthodox, but Rose was still maybe going to have some of that go back to some of the things that she liked and some of the traditions and that Rivka was going to keep some of it too and maybe Hannah would join in in that too, that, that Hannah and David and Rose and David's father, they were all going to kind of get together and um, Rose was going to come back to that a little bit. You know, I I guess I had a little bit different reaction. Um, To me, when you're ultra-Orthodox, you're ultra-Orthodox and that's the way it is. And there's not a lot of leeway. And I think we saw that, you know, pretty easily. Like, look how they overreacted because she was reading a photography book. I mean, if you think about, you know, if you're reading a book or something, even if they were nude pictures or something in the photography book, I don't know that, you know, my parents or your parents would throw you out of the house or consider this the the worst thing in the world. Um, I think that it's, it's really, really difficult to navigate and I, and I think you could see that because when Rose left, she ended up living with that teacher that she had from the School of Visual Arts. And the same thing happened with, um, with Rivka. You know, she ended up staying with Simon. And I think, you know, you think about these young women, 17, 18 years old, being told, you know, this is the person that you should marry. And really based on how, and, and the family going into debt, 
you know, to pay for the wedding and to pay for the dowry and everything like that. And they're really not prepared for the world at all, at all. I mean, basically, they're just prepared to be a wife and a mother and to get some job working in a store, you know, to help to support the family. So it's a really, really restricted way of life. And even though at the end, I think she tried to make it seem like Rivka was maintaining her religion, she wasn't maintaining her ultra-Orthodox religion. She was really doing what would be like a type of conservative Judaism because you can't be ultra-Orthodox and live, you know, with an out-of-wedlock child the way that she did. So... What, like I said, I was very uncomfortable reading this book because I could see that it's a very difficult world to live within, and um, and it's a hard world if you get kicked out of it because you're really disowned from your entire family, your entire community. I mean, it's I, I really felt, you know, for Rose and for Rifka when they got kicked out of their families, basically, at, at 17, 18 years old. Um, so that's kind of what I took away from this. I didn't see it as a, like a happy situation or resolve kind of situation. I just saw it as a really good depiction of the, the narrowness, I guess, of that world. Well, I wanted to ask about Rivka. Was she so scheming? Did she know that Simon was Hannah's boyfriend? Yeah, they were at the New Year's Eve party, but she went to bed. And then Simon dated her and took advantage. You know, he, he was dating Hannah, who I like, by the way. But Hannah Hannah took hits. Rose said, it's your fault, Hannah, because you brought her in. You, you took her in. But what was she going to do? I, I like Hannah. And was David ultra-Orthodox? I don't think he was ultra. He sounded like conservative Jew and his father, Joseph. Sounded, but I don't know that. But they sounded conservative, not not ultra orthodox like Tata and those guys. Oh my God! Uh, but can somebody help me? Was was she the scheming little devil at seven sixteen that Hannah painted her to be? I didn't think she knew that Simon was her boyfriend until she saw the candy. You know, yes, then she did. Um, I was trying to talk before Bob. Were you not able to hear me? Can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you, Joni. Go ahead. Okay, I had started to say that I really enjoyed this book. I love Naomi Reagan's writing. I've read several of of her uh, books, and um, and I've lived um, in. I've lived with Orthodox people. I've 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 known very ultra Orthodox. In fact, I was with some people. Uh, a few weeks ago, and I understand that some of their friends are uh, that have small children uh, are now just getting videos. They've taken the TV out of their home. They don't want their children associating with um, with people that don't believe as they do, and they're very ultra. Orthodox, and um, I live right near a community called Highland Park, New Jersey, and that's where a lot of ultra-Orthodox people live, and of course, we always, in this area, we hear about Borough Park, Williamsburg, uh, Muncie, New York, Lakewood, New Jersey, all these are very ultra-Orthodox communities, and I have cousins 
that live in Lakewood. Uh, they're kind of ultra, but then some of them are just orthodox. And, you know, you have all these different sects as well. You have the Satmars. And, uh, Donnie, you were talking about this Deborah. I, I didn't know her. I don't remember her name. I also read that book. I think it's called Unorthodox, and it's on Bard. And, um, you know, they say about people that are Jewish, um, they say, you know, you have two Jews and three opinions or, you know, this kind of thing that nobody agrees on anything. But um, these these real ultra-Orthodox, um, I have a cousin who married an extremely ultra, ultra, ultra Orthodox guy. So we had to go somewhere, and I think she was carrying some things, and so I was left with him, and I needed somebody to, you know, a sighted guide, and he said, I'm not allowed to walk with you. I'm sorry. And I said, what? And he said, well, I can't touch you. You can't touch me. I don't know you. You're, you're a, a woman. You're not my sister or wife or whatever. And he said, I said, I'm blind. I need assistance. So finally, um, somebody else came to help me. But a couple of years later, well, I talked to my girlfriend, Debbie, who is uh, not ultra, ultra, but she's orthodox. And she said that was the most ridiculous thing. She said uh, God would say that it was a mitzvah, which means uh, a, a good thing if a person is to walk with a, a blind person and act as a guide. So uh, I've been through a lot of this stuff in my family, uh, and uh, but my parents, they sort of thought they were orthodox, but they really weren't. Well, you know, women and men are not allowed to touch unless they're related like parent and child or husband and wife. And if you go to an orthodox wedding, which I remember this from the one that I went to, when they dance, the men and women, each one holds one end of a cloth napkin. They don't even touch hands when they're dancing. So that's really what it is. And I don't think that they... You know, they're not making exceptions. I remember I was on a New York City bus um, not too long ago, maybe a couple of years ago, and I saw a man, and he had a yarmulke. And when they have a yarmulke, you know, they could be religious but not ultra-Orthodox, and I sat down, you know, the, the buses have seats for two people, and I sat next to him, and as soon as I sat down, he said, excuse me, and he got up, and he left the seat, and I knew he had to be ultra-Orthodox, but I'm thinking, you know, if you're taking New York City public transportation, you can't guarantee that a woman's not going to sit next to you. So they have very, very strict rules, and very, you know, there, there are definite rules, and I think, you know, some people thrive in that kind of environment. Um, and I guess one of the things that I wondered is, if you grow up that way, I mean, characters like Rose and Rivka, can you ever really leave it behind? I mean, is it always, is it so ingrained in you that when you view the world, 
you're always going to sort of view it through those that that lens. I, I think you do actually. I don't think you can ever really completely disassociate yourself from that world, even if you don't live in the world anymore. Um, Bob, I was thinking um, in your terms of what you said about Rivka, whether she was deceitful. I didn't think she was deceitful at all because she just grew up in such a sheltered way that she believed what people told her. So if the guy told her that, you know, whatever line he fed her, she just bought into it and didn't think anything about it. Um, I wanted to mention that uh, Carla and and Jill, um, if you guys wanted to say something, go for it. Don't let us crowd you out. Just keep your hand on the control key till you get a chance. And anybody else that wants to chime in too. Uh, Ginny, I know I know you typed some stuff up at the top, so I'm not sure if you have a microphone or not. We'll, we'll maybe get Michelle to check out what you've written. Um, well, this was a really... It was a good book, but it was a really sad book. I have to agree with Michelle. Totally. Um... I was kind of uncomfortable reading the book, only because it was so strict. And honestly, it's funny because I thought that it should have been Pearl who left, maybe only because of what she did when she was little. And then um, Rose just seemed like she would have fit into it more until later. Um but like I said, to me, it was kind of a, it was a good book, but it was really, really kind of sad. And yeah, I also agree that Gabriella Cavalera, I like her as a narrator, but her pronunciations were not um, what I have heard. Also, you were talking about, Michelle, you asked, you wondered if you're ingrained with it, can you really leave it? That kind of reminds me... Um, and I, I was raised, I was born a Catholic, I always say. And it reminds me of the Catholic religion because they have their rules as well. And a lot of it has to do with guilt. Now, this is my opinion. So if anybody here is a Catholic, I'm not saying anything against that. I'm just saying what I think. And to me... I tend to always feel guilty for lots of things when really I shouldn't. So, to me, I don't know that you can ever leave something that strict. Well, I, I want to add to it. I don't think you can leave it. I'll be very frank. Uh, born a Catholic, not the greatest. You know, God and I have our thing. We talk to each other. I believe in God. But I think at the end, I might I might uh, hedge my bet and want a priest around, okay? I mean, I say some, oh, I don't care. You know, just face me out, pull the plug. Yeah, maybe, but I, I don't know. At the end, I'll say, give me a priest anyway. That I'm being very honest here. You guys brought it up. So I don't believe you can just, and Rose didn't just cast it aside. She was hurting. Pearl made her remind, reminded her, you know, you cost patata thousands of dollars when you postpone the wedding. But a teenager doesn't think of that. They run. They go, you know. And then, of course, the uh, culture but Rose is going to be able to rise above it. The families at least, I think, get to talking to each other. But they they live in separate worlds. I like the book a lot. And I'm sure that the author is a very good writer because they got so angry at the family that uh, that's just needs I read books that show how different cultures... Uh, so this is an example of that. 
But I have to say, I think that religion, religions in the world have done far more damage mm -hmm. than they have done good. And this is an example. And I happened to hear a program today, and it kind of reminded me of this whole thing. It was talking about all of the younger gay boys and girls that are now homeless because their families, for religious reasons, have completely rejected them. And I thought, that's just one more example of the harm that religion does instead of the good that it could do if we simply tried to love one another. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I would tend to agree. Do you guys think Pearl, I mean, I thought Pearl would have maybe been the more likely one to leave. Do you think that she might have left if Rose had not left? Do you think she stayed out of guilt because she felt so bad and she felt it was her fault that Rose got in so much trouble and Rose ended up leaving, so she stayed to please her parents? I'm not really sure about that at all um, because, um, I don't know, Pearl <laughs> did something wrong when she was little and tiny, but I think she basically tried to be compliant most of the time, and I think she was jealous of her big sister because that's why she, you know, spoke real loud about the naked people in the picture. I think she almost, she didn't know what she was doing, but... Um, She's trying to draw her attention, you know, the parents' attention to that. I think there might have been a little bit of jealousy, and I think she was mad at her, mad at her for not walking her to school anymore and things like that. But, you know, I really enjoyed this book. I thought the characters were very well developed, and um, I did not think, I did not find Rivka deceitful. I think that uh, she didn't know. I mean, she took Simon on face value. He was going to tutor her. And um, the other thing, of course, being a linguist that fascinated me was the Yiddish. And I really enjoyed reading the Yiddish uh, lexicon they had at the end and thinking about how close the Yiddish is to German, like the Wussistus in German. And, you know, what is that? And, you know, different examples like that. And there were times that I could, I could pick out of the Yiddish um, because of my experience with the German, what some of the words were before I was told. But I, too, thought it was tragic about um, uh, um, girls, young girls being given and to marriage, you know, to, ter to certain people and the matchmaking and things like that and having no choice. And so... Um, so those are my feelings on the book, but basically I, I really enjoyed it, thought the characters were well-developed, and um, I also found the technique of, of switching from person to person and date to date and getting the different perspectives gave us a fuller view of what was going on. Sherry, I thought the same thing. I wondered, too, if Rose hadn't, if Pearl would have. It would have been really interesting. It would have been a whole different perspective, I think. Um, but it was so interesting to see Ra Pearl married and, you know, having her own children. And then it was interesting seeing the difference in Rose's life with Hannah and her life with Henry. And, um, I think Donna had a comment that I don't think she got to finish. 
Yes, I, I think we should all, as soon as I'm done, I think we should let Donna finish her comment. That's a good point. And it's so interesting listening to people compare their own religious experiences because that, that does make a lot of sense. It really does. I think any time, I mean, not that, I, I'm not anti-religion, but I think that when you live with such strict rules, you know, some people do well in that kind of environment, and then other people, it, it does take away their individuality a little bit. So, like everything else, it's a compromise. And Carla, you're right about the Yiddish uh, dictionary at the end. It was very interesting for me because I know some Yiddish, but not like my parents do. And I, I listen, some of the words I knew and some of the words I didn't know. And I completely agree that Rivka wasn't deceitful at all. I think she was just, as everybody said, she was very naive. She was very sheltered. I mean, she was a very young woman. And I don't even think that she understood that Hannah had a relationship with Simon. And um, I certainly wasn't surprised when she became pregnant. I mean, I saw that one coming a mile away. Um, and it was also interesting that she took herself to the mikvah, to the, to the bath. I thought that was a really interesting scene um, to prepare herself to have her relationship with Simon so you could see the pull of her religion that she couldn't just, you know, she, she had to go through this cleansing uh, ritual beforehand, although really it wasn't appropriate for, you know, the type of encounter that she had. Um, so... My other comment was simply that I was disappointed that Rose was not closer to her children. Um, her one son moved to Australia, and um, she and Hannah were not close, particularly when we when we're first introduced to Hannah. And I don't think that Rose was happy in the life that she chose. Yes, she had freedom, and she got to be a photographer, but. It only showed her as being happy during those 10 years or so that she was married to um, her husband, whose last name was, uh, I don't know if his last name or first name was Gordon, I think is his um, last name perhaps. And uh, that saddened me a little bit. I I had hoped that Rose would have a, a happier life. She may have been fulfilled as far as her career went, but I'm not sure that she was a, a happy person. But we can't guarantee, I, I agree with you, Donna, maybe you're right that she was fulfilled and not happy, but she sure wouldn't have been happy staying an ultra-conservative uh, Jewish person, whatever it is, orthodox. She wouldn't be happy there either. But, you know, So uh, she broke away, and you, when you break, you face exile from your family. Police are chasing, the, 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 uh, the guys are chasing her, all that stuff. And yeah, the 10 years with Henry were the happiest years for her. You're absolutely right. And you like to think that she and Joseph will get some kind of a relationship, but that's that's not in the book uh, type thing. I guess Simon is a rat. Is that it? We uh, Hannah really took care of him. She, she said, Hannah, I'm sorry you came to this. I was trying to work a compromise, Rose said, with Simon. But Hannah said, you know, if you keep after her, I'll call the cops. It's statutory rape. And Simon ended up in a clothing store or something, so he kind of he kind of faded out. Yeah, I agree with you, Donna. I don't think she was happy. I think she was happy with her. I guess it was her second husband, um, and she seemed like she really was in love with him. And she 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 didn't have the best relationship with Hannah. And of course, we never met her her son and the circumstances I think were different when she gave birth to her son so I mean maybe Naomi Reagan was trying to 
explain, which I think is, is really true, that when you leave this, this type of community, you're not necessarily going to find peace and happiness somewhere else. I mean, you're just going to remake your life and try to try to find some sort of satisfaction and she did in certain ways i'm sure she got satisfaction in terms of her photography in terms of her relationship with her second husband hopefully in terms of her children to a certain extent but you don't go from from that to to bliss you know it's 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 not a journey that i think people are really gonna gonna take and i think simon is just like you know a million other young guys i mean he just is interested in what he's interested in and he found rifka maybe interesting or different or attractive or whatever and so he you know he didn't really think through the situation very well so he didn't, I didn't dislike him. I just thought he was like, you know, a million other young guys. Yeah, that was my impression, too, when it came to Simon. And I certainly didn't think Rifka was deceitful in any way. She didn't know what was going on. How could she? She'd been sheltered all her life. But I, what I thought was interesting was, and really terrible, was how everything just... Everything that happened with Rose reflected back on the rest of the family. And even when it came time for Pearl to marry, she was... she They couldn't find a suitable match for her either. And she ended up taking somebody who was a widower with a small child. And I just... I thought it was just a shame that everything just reflected back on the family and it's almost a puritanical way of life in some ways. I don't know if... I, I think Pearl uh, was really jealous and, and, and she had a lot of guilt too. I don't know if she could have left. I don't know that she would have had the strength to leave, especially um, that that Rose was Rose had left. And such shame was brought upon the family. But that's how these communities are. They're so interwoven. What one does is told around the, the community and everybody knows. Um, and these people are so also worried about how is it going to look to the other people in the community if a person does this, that, or the other thing. And rumors get spread, uh, too. And um, I don't know that Pearl would have had the strength to, to leave. I think she was too enmeshed in the in the family, and also she wanted to please her parents. She wanted to please her parents from the very from when she was really little. Um, the night when she tries to uh, help with the kiddish and everything, she wanted to be the center. Yeah, I think you're right, uh, Joni, and remember. She brought. She said, even forty years later, did I 
call my parents, draw attention to the photographs on purpose or not, I don't know. I've been debating that. But one thing Pearl did start getting was attention after she stopped eating and then she recovers and she's the fair-haired girl and she got attention, which Rose was getting all through uh, as they grew up. No, I don't think Pearl would have left. No way. She she followed her husband when the husband, I don't know what these words are, so I won't say them, but I mean, he, he was yelling at Rose that she was a non-Jew or a whore or something. I think Joni said it was a non-Jew, some term. And Pearl just followed her out. That's what a dutiful wife does in that culture. And it was Hannah who jumped between the father of um, Rivka, I don't remember his name, and Rose. He says, you don't, she said, you don't say that to my mother. You know, and then uh, Pearl just walked out behind him. And that said it, you know, that uh, we live in two different worlds. We might meet in a coffee shop. We might we hug, but uh, we're in different worlds. No, she wasn't going to leave. Two things um, about Pearl. I, she wouldn't have been able to support herself the way Rose, more resourceful. She had um, she had a goal. She knew she wanted to be a photographer. I don't think Ro- uh, Pearl would had she left. I don't think she could have supported herself very well. She might have ended up doing uh, house cleaning like Rivka. The other thing I wanted to mention in Simon's defense, yes, he was certainly a, a cad dating both girls at the same time, but um, uh, Rivka was uh, very very needy. And she was very clingy, and that's also part of what part of what drove Simon from her. Uh, she was just very young, very needy. Well, I don't have any defense for Simon. I thought he was a jerk, and he was old enough to know better that he was taking advantage, and he was two-timing Rivka um, by trying to get Hannah. I didn't really like Hannah too well until near the end when she stuck up for her mom. And I thought that I liked her better by the end. Um, did uh, Alan or yeah? Okay, I see your hands up now. I was going to say Alan, Jill, and a couple people have been trying to talk. I'll back off and let you guys talk. Yeah, I, I was just going to comment on on some of the religious aspects and uh, the the thing I don't like about any religion, whether you're talking about Orthodox Judaism or Catholicism or whatever, that they get stuck on a bunch of rules at some point you become obsessed with rule following and you run into situations where the rules just don't cut it anymore you've got to use your brain and you got to address the situation and the the rules aren't going to do it and uh that's what i found so uh uh sad about this this story and and about those that practice this because uh i mean you know, family was always important to me, and you know it's obviously important in this culture. But time and time again, they they didn't they didn't say the stuff that needed to be said, or they were too busy worried about somebody not following a rule, and you know, uh, people's feelings were getting crushed right and left. And it's just it's just sad when when you lose track of what's right and wrong because you're too busy following the rules. And I also noted it was kind of curious that they made the comment that somewhere that the, the the rich Jewish guys, whether they followed everything correctly or not, they were always well thought of. Well, isn't that the way it always is? Money always always carries the day. And it's just uh, it's just people playing at religion, and 
and losing sight of the stuff that's really important. And that, that's what's so tragic about this. I was just going to say, in Simon's defense, he did go to the ritual baths with Rivka, remember? So that, that ought to be, you know, a start is <laughs> favor somewhere. And, and I think part of the problem really was because she was so needy. It might have worked out better as an arrangement, but, but she was so dependent on him that, uh, of course, he start, immediately started backing away. Rivka really, she was a, she was a young girl, and she really was so unknowing about life. Um, teenagers that are brought up with this way um, are so sheltered, and she was, and she just didn't know how to handle anything. Somebody reached out to her, Simon, and she thought that that he loved her. And she didn't know. She just didn't know any better. And she just, as teenagers, kids don't think very far into the future or about consequences. Uh, and I don't. And she did not know. She actually did not know that by having unprotected sex that she could get pregnant. She just didn't know. They, they never discussed it because I imagine that was left to right before her wedding night. And those girls um, were expected to be virgins before they married. So that was another thing that she sinned with, that she... she uh, she wasn't a virgin, and, and a lot of things. So she had a lot of things to be guilty about, but she did learn. She grew up in those few years. She grew up a lot. And um, and I liked Rivka. I did not like Hannah. I didn't like her. She was always edgy. She was sarcastic. And I think that her idea was, well, I brought myself up. My mom didn't spend enough time with me. And uh, in some ways, she probably was right. I like Rivka. I'll be quick. We're wrapping up here, I guess. I like Rivka. You know, she was a teenager. But I got to tell you, Jill, you're probably aware if you think about it. Yeah, he went to the baths with her because he knew what was going to happen later. That's what goes through a guy's mind. So I'll, I'll go, you know. And it meant one thing to her and another thing to him. But whatever but I, I liked her. I liked Hannah by the end of the book. I think she grew up a little bit with David, and uh, uh, they got married and showed uh, her doing research. That part was good. No, but uh, Hannah's right. Rose didn't spend time with her, so she resented it very much. I, I liked Hannah. I thought Hannah, but I think Hannah was so different than all the other characters in the book because she didn't grow up. She had no association with the ultra-Orthodox community. So, you know, she's looking at it like a, a modern American woman. She, she doesn't understand the mindset of the ultra-Orthodox. And Rivka, I mean, I, I could put myself in her place. If I were 17 years old and my parents threw me out of the house and some guy came along and said, you know, come and live with me and I'll pay the bills and, you know, you cook for me or whatever... 
I would be grateful, I have to say. You know, I was 17 years old. I had no skills. I had no money. Um, I think she was the same, you know, whether she was ultra-Orthodox or whatever. I think that's, you know, that's, that's very, very typical. And I think that's what I liked about all her characters is that they seemed very real to me. I mean, they, they seemed like real people, and maybe it wasn't a situation that everybody could relate to. It was a different type of community. Um, I will just say one thing. My mother talks to me all the time about community and the importance of community, and I think when you belong in a community like the ultra-Orthodox community, and you fit in and you're comfortable in that community, I think you have a sense of community that a lot of times other people don't have, um, because people are so isolated now, they often live apart from their family, um, and um, it it does, you know, in, in a certain sense, it gives you a real sense of belonging that I think, you know, many other people don't have. Uh, I think the problem. Uh, well, yeah, you're right about the the community thing. It is is very important, and I and I agree totally. Uh, you know, as long as I guess you can continue to uh, play by the community's rules and stuff. So, uh, you know, and, and and that was the problem here. I guess I think Rivka's problem was she was like she was like 17 going on about 10, and uh, she was so naive in, in, in so many things uh, uh, I, I, I liked Hannah too I, uh, she was a little edgier but uh, uh, I think that was understandable considering her, her upbringing but uh, 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 I found her, her, her likable a couple things I want to say <clears throat> um, there were some Hebrew uh, words and um, Yiddish words sprinkled throughout the book um, Yiddish um, is actually a 12th or 13th German dialect. And Yiddish has been added to throughout the years with all kinds of, well, a lot of English words were thrown in. And, Michelle, I think probably your parents spoke so you wouldn't understand what they were saying like my parents did. So, because you weren't supposed to know what they were talking about, because that's what mine did. So, consequently, I learned some Yiddish, but um, I took German in high school so that I could figure out what the Yiddish was that they were trying to keep from me. Um, I was just going to say that I... I liked Hannah. I really did. And I liked Rose. Rose from the beginning, even though she did at first seem to want to be want to follow everything that the way she was brought up but she really she was a more of a free spirit she had to be and she had her interest in photography and just I think Rose in a lot of ways, was my favorite of the characters. Rivka, I agree with Alan, was 17 going on about 9, 10. And I felt bad for her because she really was taken advantage of in the beginning with Simon. She grew up a lot in the end, but she had to go through a lot to get there. 
Well, it's 9 o'clock, so I think we're going to go ahead and mention the next book, but then after we do, we can continue to talk about this book, but I just want to make sure we get it in in terms of having it there for the recording. So the next book is The Paris Architect, and it's by Charles Belfour, B-E-L-F-O-U-R. The DB number is DB77875. That's 77875. I'm going to put it up in the chat window if you hit F9. There's some comments from Ginny up there and from Don, and then you'll see my comment with the title and the author and DB number. And I'll let Michelle tell you a little bit about it since this is uh, her selection. Okay. Well, first, yes, Joni, I grew up exactly the same as you. My parents spoke Yiddish to each other, and that's why I know a little bit of Yiddish. And my mom sometimes forgets that I'm not fluent in Yiddish, and she'll talk to me, and I'll tell her, just throw in a few English words so I'll get the gist of what you're you're trying to say. and Don's comment is just good night all. And I don't, I don't have Ginny's comment. I'm sorry. I just have Don's comment. Um, so I know it seems like we're reading one Jewish book after another. It just sort of worked out that way. So anyway, the next book is called The Paris Architect. And I, I, I did read the book already. And it's a different kind of a story. It's not a story about the ultra-Orthodox community. It's actually kind of a thriller and a historical fiction book together. It's very, very suspenseful. I will warn you that there are a couple of scenes of pretty graphic violence. Um, I hate violence. I can't stand violence. And there's one character, and you'll very quickly get to know this character. And when this character makes an appearance, if you want to fast forward through the thing... I'm with you 100% because it's, it's, I, I didn't, but, you know, I, it was pretty graphic here and there. Um, so what is this book about? It's about a Paris architect, Lucien, and, you know, he, he, this takes place in France during the German occupation during World War II, and it basically tells the story of what happened to the French people and what happened to the Jewish people at this time, and there's a lot, a lot of interesting details. Um, and Lucien is an architect, and he's, he's having problems finding work um, because the Germans have basically taken over everything. And he's given this opportunity. Now, the Bard annotation says he's given an opportunity by a Jewish man, but that's not correct. It was actually a Christian man who came up to him and wanted to commission him to design an impenetrable hiding place in his very large apartment to hide a Jewish friend for him. And Lucien is not political. He doesn't really care what's going on with the Jews. But he can't turn this down because he needs the money. Plus, the man has offered to uh, allow him to design a factory. So he takes this. And then, of course, he gets very drawn into the, what's going on in, 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 at this time. It's very suspenseful. It's, it's a real page-turner. Um, and it, it was a real, and it, and it basically, it answered a question, I guess, that I always wondered, is why would a Christian person help a Jewish person at this time? You know, there's a lot of different reasons why, and um, that's what I found the most interesting, besides the, the suspense and the thrill, uh, thriller aspect of it, it, it talks a lot about 
issues, you know, issues of morality and why people do the things that they do. So um, it's about 12 hours, and it's called The Paris Architect. The author is Charles Belfour, which is B-E-L-F-O-U-R-E. And the DB number, as Sherry said, is 77875. And we're going to be meeting, it's actually five weeks from today, August, uh, August, October 14th.